Welcome to C3 Church, Queen's Beach. We believe Jesus Christ gives life to the full and we are called to live it and share it. We pray you enjoyed this message today. This morning we're going to do a little bit of a tag team because uh, we're moving on to the next part of Colossians 3. Mm. And in the next 25 minutes, we're going to tell you everything you need to know about marriage and parenting. No, we are not. (laughs) Can I I just say, this is one of those, um, you know, let's do a series on Colossians and then you get to Colossians 3 and you're like, could we maybe just skip over a couple of those hard verses? No, we're going there today, people. So please put everything in context. Don't take something out of context and quote quote us as saying something hard. This is <laughs> so a classic a little bit image of um, celebrating the difference. So we have electronic gadget iPad and we have Mr. Dinosaur with the, <laughs> with the hard copy because you can touch a hard copy. And uh, if the battery goes, if the battery goes, it's still going. I don't know where that's in. Anyway. It could die at any moment, let's be real. So, yeah. that's so okay. look, we're going to move on. And Colossians 3, remember the context we have is that Paul is saying, uh, put off the old and put on the new. Not, so, not spouse. Yeah, no, no, we're not saying trade. Don't get rid of me. We're not trading anybody in. These aren't in our notes, by the way. It's not in your notes. Sorry, um, we just might be like jamming a little <laughs> bit today. He doesn't want me to do that, but anyway. Follow the plan. <laughs> so, come on. Paul is saying, well, that's real, isn't it? We think different and we, you know, you've got to work your life out together. So, where was I? Putting off the old and putting on the new. So um, what Paul's saying is, you know, the old way in context at that time uh, your household is running, you know, that's not really God's ideal plan. And if we go to a verse a little bit above, it says, you know, we want to make you more into the image of your creator. And so what Paul's doing in these next couple of verses is giving us something of a pointer towards what our creator believes relationships within a household should be. Because in that time, your households were quite um, transactional and uh, quite isolationist in terms of husbands and wives and children. And so Paul's saying that's really not the way the creator wanted it. What the creator wanted was um, a united, a oneness, a loving, caring environment. We remember that the curse that was spoken when Adam and Eve um, fell was about separation and division. And so anything, even as we go through here, we've got to be very careful about how we're interpreting things because if anything is interpreted as bringing division and or separation, then that's really part of the curse and God's intent is for us to be one and in unity. So let's read the verses and then we'll see where we go from there. So Colossians 3, 18 to 21 in the uh, NIV. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. And fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And if we go on and read the next couple, it's about slaves and masters. So we actually have um, some paired statements here for, for six people. And, you know, God's scales are always, they're never unequal. So if there's something he's speaking to one part of the body, some people, then he's going to be speaking something to the other part. You know, it's like, you know, 
wives submit, what is it? Wives submit yourselves to your husbands. And the husbands can go, yeah, wives. Yeah, and God says, and by the way, husbands, make sure you're loving. You know? And children obey. So parents can go, yeah, children. God says obey. And God says, yeah, but parent, make sure you're doing the right thing and not being too harsh. So these statements come in pairs. And uh, the intent of each of them as you go through is about what are you doing to enhance the well-being or to enhance the life of somebody else. So I think most of us fit into these categories, but if there's a category you don't fit into, the intent behind this, the, the intent behind our creator is that relationships everywhere are healthy and it's always going to fall into, are you being the most excellent person you can for other people? And that's where the heart of all this is coming from. So let's begin with the first of those paired statements, then I'm going to handball over to Nicole. Um, wives, submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord, and husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And I mentioned back in the Garden of Eden, and in Genesis, we know that God's intent was that two should become one. And this was reaffirmed by Jesus, and it's really nice to read uh, Jesus's view on uh, an, an, an affirming of that and what he sees um, as marriage to be. So in Mark 10, verses 6 to 9, in the original creation, God made male and female to be together. Uh, and because of this, a man leaves father and mother, and in a marriage, he becomes one flesh with a woman, no longer two individuals, but forming a new unity, forming a oneness. Uh, and because God created this organic union of the two sexes, no one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. So we see that Jesus is affirming God's original intent for that marriage relationship is about unity and equality. It's about oneness. So therefore, anything that promotes that division or inequality is part of the curse and part of the fall. And sometimes when we read these things going through, we, we look at it and go, that's a checklist for my partner, when actually it's a job description for you. And that's what we need to think about. Nicole. Great. So God's redemptive purpose through Jesus is about removing the curse of division. So as you said, wives submit to your husbands. We're like, did you really just say that, Nicole? Yes, the Bible does say that. And it sort of rubs you up the wrong way. We know we're modern females. Is this, is this a bit of a sexist thing? Because the idea of submission, one person in a marriage being subject to the other, it must be treated with caution. And it should not be accepted glibly and on face value. Does the Bible endorse inequality between men and women? Well, no, we know it doesn't because only about six verses back, we have one of the most empowering and liberating verses to women that is in the, in the Word of God. In the same very chapter, most um, powerful, where Paul states, we are all made equal and one in Christ. And that equality comes across race, gender, skin colour, slave or free, and balances and parallel verse in Galatians 3 when he states, there is no male or female in Christ. So is the Bible sexist or isn't it? Before I answer that, there's always two essential things that we look for in anything that we read in the scripture. 
and that is that we steer clear of some dangers. And the first one is we do the one verse theology. So we just take that one verse and that's our gospel, that's our theology, not putting it into um, balance with what else is going on there. And the second one is to skip a verse theology. As I said, I would have quite liked to do that one today. <laughs> Context and balance are used to overcome these issues. So let's have a look at this word submit. Submit here is a Greek military term, means hupotasso, I like saying that, meaning to arrange military troop divisions in a military um, fashion under the command of a leader. And in a secular non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility and carrying a burden. So we have a much fuller explanation of that. And we see this in Ephesians 5 too. There we see it says, every Christian is called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the, I love the Passion Version says, out of your reverence for Christ, be supportive of each other in love. So we all cooperate, act responsibly and share the burden. And submission is essential to every Christian relationship. But submission is not subjugation. Submission is a dignified act of free will taken because we're a child of the king. It's an act of respect between equals and it's ex an expression of humility, respect and love and those are essential in marriage both ways. So in a Christian marriage, the husband and wife are one, united, two shall be one. And in order to work as one, each is called to an act of sacrifice. It's interesting that when we get married, we get married at an altar, which is a place of sacrifice. We put off the old self, which was selfish and greedy, and we take on the new self, which is putting others first. As Jesus said, we love God and we love others. So in marriage, we're wanting to, God's wanting us to be kind, humble, patient, forgiving. So wives submit, that means let him lead. Sacrifice your God-given right to direct your own life and make all your own decisions. And that's a hard sacrifice, but there's a balance. And both sides sacrifice, as we're saying, there's two sides of the coin with each of these. And Colossians 3:18 from the Passion puts it like this. Let every wife be supportive and tenderly devoted to her husband, for this is a beautiful illustration of our devotion to Christ. Let every husband be filled with cherishing love for his wife and never be insensitive towards her. So for me, devoted looks like respect and honour. Steve is the first person I tell my news to, whether it's sad or it's happy news. I, I want him, I honour him and respect him, and I tell him that news first. Um, if there's rare times when we have a disagreement and we can't come to... Um, the same agreement, which is very, very rare. In the end, I come under his leadership and his decision and we go there. As I said, it's happened very rarely, but we had something um, a few years ago with Beyond actually, and we always pray about what amount we were going to give. And I think pretty much we've always come up with the same amount, but this one year, Steve's amount was $2,000 less than mine. And I prayed and we talked about it. And I thought, what do I do here, God? And he said, just trust me. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, you know, should I secretly just like save my own extra money and put it in? And I was like, he said, you've just got to let me trust him. He's, he's you know, he's a good man. You trust him. Okay. The next year, he put in like 
2,000 more than I was going to. And I'm like, you know what? They're all balanced out. So over two years, it worked out. And I felt like God going, <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, okay, chill. But for me, that was like, oh, wow, what do I do here? And I'm glad I did that. It was actually made the right decision. In our finances, we need to be discussing those together. We need to be coming to agreement. And again, the deal breaker is that, that Steve gets the final say if we need to do that. In spiritually, we need to, um, if you're in a situation where you're married to someone who's not a Christian, or maybe you were a Christian when you married, but the husband sort of lost his fire for God, that's a really tricky situation to be with. I think in this situation, if you've got a partner who's saying, I don't want you to go to church and I don't want you to serve God, and that, I would say, hey, this is who I am. This is the most important value I have in my life. I need that two hours a week. It's all I'm asking, all I'm letting you know. I will be serving, I will be going to, to do this. It's my religious freedom. No, don't say that. But, <laughs> but that's, that's a deal breaker. You know? And I know some wives have been really frustrated. They wanted to tithe and their husbands not um, had a revelation of that. And it's been very frustrating for them. And God's given them creative ways to make money or to, to save on housekeeping or do something so that they can still be in that right place with God and, and honour that. So a bit of a tricky one. And an important caveat in this is we do not put up with abuse of any type. We do not advocate this. If something like that is happening, seriously, I know of churches in the past, many, many years ago, not C3, but a, you know, a woman would come and say, my husband's doing this. Well, no, he's a deacon. We don't know. He's fine. You just need to submit to him. That is not how we, that is not honouring one another. That is not, that's, it's evil. So if there's anything like that, let someone know, receive help. And we have rescued many people out of situations like that. And like everything, when there's a challenge in our marriage, what do we go to? Prayer, Bible, community. That's right, we have wise counsel. We get spiritual help and we get professional help. So if your car's broken down or it needs a tune-up, a service, you go to the mechanic. If there's something that's broken or needs a little bit of mending, go and get some help from a pastor or a leader. Go and get some professional Christian counseling Go and resource yourself. Listen to marriage grit. That stuff is great. See what things are, are triggering. Learn and equip yourself so that you can have the best marriage and be in the best place for you. Honour and respect for me is speaking words of life. I'm a big believer in this. It's especially important to males that we don't disrespect, put them down, question their manhood, speak about them badly to our friends have a go at them on social media or to our children. And if we have a situation we need to resolve, fight fair. I'd rather say conflict resolution than that. And I see it as Ephesians 3 says, speak the truth in love. It's like a stool that has three legs. If we don't speak, nothing's going to get resolved. If we're speaking, but it's not the truth, that's no point in that. It's going to fall apart. If we're speaking the truth, but it's harsh and it's not in love, it's not going to be effective. So I, I just love to keep those for me. I'm like, am I speaking the truth in love? And um, another great resource, I follow Gottman Institute 
on Instagram, every day they put up brilliant articles about relationships, not just marriage, there's stuff for kids, there's just workplace, everything. It is absolute gold, yeah. It's really important to communicate, not yelling, degrading, accusing, not using emotional language. Like, you always do this and you never do this. You end up actually arguing about that phrase. Well, I did do it once, so you can't say never and you've missed the whole point, right? Not that any of us have ever experienced that. It's really hard when you live with a science person because you did say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So we just don't go <laughs> there because it just puts people on the defensive, right? Mm. And this is really important to me. Don't use excuses for treating people badly. So, oh, we're just passionate. That's why we yell at each other. No, that is ungodly. That is not biblical. It's just showing you're lacking skills. Look at the fruits of the Spirit. Look at 1 Corinthians 13 and study what does love really look like. Nowhere are we justified in treating each other badly. Be supportive. Know each other's love languages. Know the personality types so that you can work with them. What I love about the Maya Briggs one, it's, and, um, it breaks down every category of how to work best in your workplace, marriage, with kids, in all scenario finances, how best to work with that personality and how they tick so you can understand them and have the best results. What's important to them? I learned after, took me a little while, Steve's introvert, I'm extrovert. So he would come to the weekend, be absolutely exhausted from a very tiring job. And I've just got party Friday night, I've got party Saturday lunch, I've got party Saturday night. He's like, whoa, I can't do this. So now I'm like, I look at the calendar, I'm like, right, we can do one thing, hopefully. <laughs> so it's understanding each other's personalities and what is going to be a blessing to them. It's also taking off unrealistic expectations. We can look at the things that our partner is missing. I can go, oh, I wish Steve was a handyman. He could do all these things. And I could compare him to some of you guys who just, you know, love Bunnings. But he's awesome in other things. And I look at those and I don't compare. And we come up with creative solutions of how that works. Otherwise, we're frustrated. And comparison is not good. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. And I heard this story. Um, Mrs. Smith, Mrs. Smith, um, the wife, greeted her husband in the driveway after work and they saw their neighbour across the road, Mr. Jones, arrive home at the same time and he gave his wife, Mrs. Jones, some flowers. And Mrs. Smith said to her hubby, why don't you ever do that? And he replied, I could, but I actually don't know her that well. So true. Dad joke. <laughs> My dad literally tells that joke, yeah. so it really is a dad joke. Yeah. Uh, no, that comparison stuff is, is pretty deadly. Uh, I think the other thing, as I'm listening to Nicole, I haven't heard that until now. We didn't um, compare notes before we came here. Um, but there's, th there's one thing about having good intention. There's another thing about actually going to work, about making that intention real. And so, yes, it's a great intention to go, I will respect. But what does that actually look like? And how do we go about that? And the other challenge to men, uh, you know, words. Words come difficultly. So even then, I'm not saying that properly, am I? Science. <laughs> you know, lady, uh, you know, 60,000 words a day going through the head. Men, three. <laughs> 3,000, not 3,000. Three. Yeah, not three. 3,000. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're, you know, when the question is, what are, you, what are you thinking? And we go, I don't know. 
or nothing, you know, there's some truth to that. But also, you know, there's a bit of a laziness as well. So there is a challenge. If you want the fruit of a good relationship, we actually do have to work it. And you're here this morning. This is what we're trying to do. Maybe do some tweaking or whatever. So men, women aren't commanded to love us, but we're commanded to love them. There's our job description. And so it's not really fair to go, well, wife, you know, where's the respect and where's the honour if we're not doing that radical loving thing in the first place? Because really, if, you know, if, that's sort of what kicks it off. Uh, in 1 John, uh, the, the apostle writes, we love and, and we're feeling secure and founded, but only because God loved us first and then sent his son as a sacrifice. And once we're secure and sure about God's love for us, then we can move into that space. And if we're looking at wives being respectful and honoring don't fall into that checklist it's look at our own job description and our job description is to love which is really quite a radical thought because the 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 love that paul's referring to is that agape love which is all about being selfless it's all about serving the other without looking for anything in return and one of the things that mistakes that we can make in because we're humans and wives do it and, and husbands do it is to be looking to the other person to fulfill what we need and that's not really what God has intended for us I think it's we get that from Jerry Maguire you you complete me no you don't that's anyway just you annoys see it's me. pushes a button there um, so it, it it's about it, it, it's about a, a love which is selfless and seeing the other person be all they can possibly be. So that looks like it's, it's a relatively simple command, love your wife, but what does that actually look like? And so Paul gives us in Ephesians a little bit of an elaboration. And in Ephesians 5, 25, 31, he says this, Husbands, love your wives, same command, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's the standard for our loving of our wives? Just as Christ loved the church. There's our example. And he goes another way in verse 28. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. So he gives us two little images there. As Christ loved the church and as you love your own bodies. There you are. That gives you a little bit of a compass setting. So how did Christ love the church? He gave up his own life so that the church could be empowered, so that the church could be fruitful, so that the church could fulfill its destiny. In his life, you know, he gave that great example at the Last Supper when he bent down and he washed the feet of the disciples and said, this is the example. This is what I'm setting you. So if we husbands are going to love our wives, you know, we can talk about submission, but loving our wives is pretty much the same thing. It's two sides of the same coin. If I'm going to love Nicole as Christ loved the church, then I'm cherishing her, I'm delighting her, I'm protecting her, I'm comforting her. I am enabling her to be everything she can possibly be. I recognize the gifts in her, I recognize the call in her, I recognize the talent in her, I recognize the purpose that God has put her in this place uh, for, and I am doing what I can, sacrificing and making it all possible for her to be everything that she can possibly be. 
So one of the things we can look at, husbands, is who's out serving who here? Let's get a little bit practical. Flick back through the week. Who's, who's flick back through some acts of service and some acts of sacrifice? Who's in front? Because if I look back, I would go, oh, all right, you know, maybe I can be doing something a little bit better because I'm the one who's supposed to be serving and enabling. So what have, here's some rhetorical questions, husbands. What have I given up for my wife lately? What does it cost me to be her husband's husband? <laughs> I got the word sacrifices, so I got the plurals mixed up. What sacrifices have I made that are gonna enhance her well-being? Have I encouraged my wife today or this week? How have I shown that I love her? What am I doing to make sure that she can be the best she can possibly be? Here's another thing that Christ does for the church. He prays for us. Hebrews says that God, Jesus lives to intercede for us. And so, husbands, how is your prayer in terms of your wife? Are you praying for the best possible things for her? Are you praying for physical health? Are you praying, what does your wife need prayer for? Have you asked her? Have you asked her what she needs full stop? Nicole mentioned marriage grit before uh, from Pastor Jay Gold. And one of the things they said in the last one was sit down, ask each other what you need. What do you need from me? How can I love you better? How can I love you better? So how is that prayer life? Because that, that cannot be an easy thing. It's an easy thing to do on our own, and we can be forgetful about it because one of the challenges is we take our partners for granted because they're gonna love us, we're secure with them, so we can sort of treat them and we're gonna get love anyway. So we can pray for everybody else and we forget about praying for us, but Jesus, we gotta love like Jesus, which means we pray, and we pray together as well. That's another challenge for couples, and you probably can't go from zero to hero, but you can start to think about, you know, perhaps, we need to make a time where we can pray together, Either take, even taking communion together. That's a really easy place to start. And then we build on from there because God has brought you together to be powerful. Love them like you love your own body. I love my body. I know exactly what it needs and I don't mess around giving it what it wants. Hungry, ooh, feed. Tired, ooh, go and have a sleep. Right. Oh, I need some Steve time because my body, I'm feeling a little. And we meet that need so quickly. And God's saying, that's how you should be thinking about your wife. What are the needs that she has that you can provide um, as quickly as, as, as you can? How do we find that out? We have to ask. Or if you don't know what they need, then, um, you know, ask, you know. Anyway, I'm going to flick to you because I've yeah. gone on too long. Yeah. <laughs> I think for us, we just see it as we work together as a team and, uh, yeah, go back and forth and it just seems to work for that, us in that way after so many long, long years It took years me a long together. time to learn. All right? So you do actually grow into that. I, I mm. know what you need mm. and I do my best to do it. Does so a great job. And then we have children and they are welcome members of the team, but we are still in charge of the team. We're the team leaders. <laughs> So Colossians 3.20, children obey your parents. So let the children respect and pay attention to their parents in everything, for this pleases our Lord Jesus. 
And then our fathers don't have unrealistic expectations for your children or else they may become discouraged. So kids obey mum and dad. Notice this relationship is different, but still a sacrifice. Obedience is an act of recognising authority. And in this case, recognising God's design for the family. Now, this doesn't attempt to address, again, issues of abusive parents or broken or mixed families. Wisdom is required in these. But teach your kids why you want them to obey. Parents often tell their kids what to do, but don't give them the reason why they should. And these are two distinctly different things. The first is an action, and the second is the principle. And you see the Bible does this. So the Bible very clearly say, if you do this... Or you do this because when you do, this will happen, good consequence, or do this. If you don't do this, there's a bad consequence. So I want their response to our authority to be fueled by the gospel and their increasing love for Jesus. I want them to obey because they're persuaded by the following reasons. So if you have a look in Ephesians 6, 1 to 3, Paul quotes from the Ten Commandments from Exodus 20 here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right... Honour your father and mother. It's the first commandment with promise that things will go well with you and you may have lived long on the earth. So children, if you want to be wise, listen to your parents and what they tell you and the Lord will help you. So Exodus 20.12 says it's good for children to obey their parents since it is what God commands and his commands are not burdensome. Obeying our parents is one way to show our parents and God that we love them. And also, as Paul points out, it's the first command that actually comes with a promise. If you do this, things will go well with you. And the children of Israel were promised they would have long life in the land if they obeyed their parents, as long as the parent, it didn't um, contradict God's law. But sadly, we see time and time they disobeyed and were in captivity. So kids are meant to obey their parents because it characterizes the godly lifestyle of God's redeemed people. Honouring your parents is in the Ten Commandments and these were never the way to get redeemed. It was too late for that. They were already redeemed. It was meant to be a loving response to God's redemption, part of God's new holy people. So if our kids want to respond to God's redemption in Christ, then obeying their parents is one of the ten obvious ways that they can do that. And obeying parents is much more than just doing what you're told. It's a reflection of your obedience to the Lord himself and should model Christ's wholehearted obedience to the Father. Kids are meant to obey their parents because it's right. The Bible doesn't often use this argument, but God is saying self-evidently it's what kids ought to do and if the other way around we look at it, if you don't obey your parents then it's wrong. It's just not the way God designed the world to be with these new house rules that especially that Paul was putting into place. Kids are meant to obey their parents in the Lord because it's part and parcel of being a Christian. It's what discipleship as a child looks like. You obey your parents. And so we want our kids to have that loving response. If they're serious about following Jesus, they understand this means doing what their parents say. Kids are meant to obey their parents because it's the way to flourish in life. So if you think for a moment, if you're preschool and primary age children are the wild ones. They won't get invited to parties. They won't get play dates and so on. It won't go well for them in their early years. We're really blessed because our kids were invited out because they were obedient, therefore polite and well behaved. And we've actually stopped um, inviting some people to our house in the past because their kids were disobedient. Frankly, they're disrespectful of us. 
and didn't do anything that we said and of our property. We're like, we just don't need that. <laughs> if they're the ones who won't do what the teacher says in primary and secondary school age years, then their experience of the education <laughs> system is going to be very unpleasant and they won't learn what they could. It won't go well for them in their teenage years as well. I think during COVID and the lockdown, many parents realised that the teacher wasn't the problem. As parents, we're tempted to do whatever we can to make a quiet life, keep the peace at all costs. But it's more important than that, and it's not true peace anyway. Don't avoid conflict. Don't let them speak disrespectfully. Don't let them tell you what to do. We have lived life. We are experienced in stuff. We have resources. We know the word of God. We do know better than the kids. And kids need to know and respect this. Otherwise, they become what the Bible calls wise in their own eyes. And it's very unappealing. What you might laugh at when a child is, you know, two or three or four, it's not funny when they're older. Other people just look and they actually won't like your children. So start as you mean to go. Nip it in the bud straight away. Dads, if your kids speak disrespectfully about or to your wife, you need to step in. Steve would say, that is my wife, don't you speak to her like that, or that is your mum, you need to ask for forgiveness for that. And I love that too, that was his way of also honouring and respecting me. Disobedient children tend to become disobedient adolescents and then disobedient adults. If they remain unwilling to submit to any authority that God places over them, it will not go well for them, or for us. But if we teach them this essential truth in the short run, we're going to do them a massive favour in the long run. Children who are obedient to their parents tend to have happier relationships with their parents because there's a de decreased strain on the relationship. It's a much better option than continually nagging, bribing, grounding or arguing. And Steve's going to talk soon about exasperating as well. So learn to obey out of the love and reverence for God. You say, well, how do we do that? So when we consider the role of instruction in a child's life, there are a few facts and elementary principles that you should keep in mind. Firstly, when you speak to your child in a way that requires an answer or an action, you should expect immediate and complete response. Too many ex parents expect less, and that's exactly what they receive. We've consistently found as um, parents and also as teachers, that the requirement of first-time obedience is far less an adjustment problem for the children than it is for their parents. <laughs> Second, never give a command unless you would intend for it to be obeyed. Say exactly what you mean and mean precisely what you say. These are good things in life, basically, as well. A child learns really quickly the habit of disregarding his parents' instructions if it's not followed through. And thirdly, and very importantly, teach them to obey according to the character of true obedience, immediately, completely, without challenge and complaint. So there's a little um, diagram of a, a hand here. It's the five fingers of obedience. So you've got shows honour, yes, mummy, right response, I'll obey, shows love right away, shows faithfulness all the way, shows cheerfulness and humility the happy way. Again, these are all biblical principles and you can look at the scriptures there. It's not as difficult as it may seem. Actually, you said true obedience is often more difficult for the child. So we would give, say to Thomas, our um, first one to all our children, might say, Thomas, time to pick up your toys, pack up, because we're getting ready for dinner. 
The expected response was, yes, mum, followed by an immediate packing away with a happy heart, not a tantrum, not a, well, I'll chuck the toys in or oh, I'm going to leave three random blocks there because I'm not going to complete it. Main challenge for me in all of this was being consistent and following through. Because sometimes we're tired. I remember being nine months pregnant on the couch and giving Thomas, uh, who was 17 months, an instruction and him looking over like, today's the day I'm going to test you. And it was like, I really do not want to get off this couch. I'm like a beach whale here. But it was like, I need to do this, especially because there's going to be a newborn soon and I'm going to be stuck not being able to <laughs> enforce this. So to get up, follow through, do the timeout or whatever we're doing and train it. And the other thing um, is keeping an even temper. So there's one time I sent, um, <laughs> Thomas again, <laughs> sent him to his room and I just thought I will not be disciplining in grace and I'll be doing it out of anger basically. So I put Joyce Meyer on that I'd recorded, made a cup of tea and I sat there and prayed until I'd calmed down and then I did what I needed to do because yeah, that's important. Another thing is making the consequences suit the action or the inaction. So these are all things that you can spend, you know, 10-week course doing. <laughs> so why train to godly obedience? It actually keeps us safe from physical danger. I knew if we were in a car park or something, if my kids or I could go, stop, and they would. It wouldn't be like, what car? And boom, they're gone. We knew they were physically safe, but I think it also keeps us spiritually safe too when we're able to stops us from making those bad decisions and it prepares our heart for our lifelong walk following Jesus as we love honor and obey him immediately completely without challenge and complaint which requires a level of trust life goes well for us it's a deep level of fruitfulness and fulfillment in this and you know once a child becomes an adult the parent-child relationship should change we don't require a yes mum from our adult children. We move from obedience to honour. You're becoming your parent's peer instead of a dependent minor, their friend even. You, they're not your friend when they're little. You're the mum and the dad. You are the only unique person who has that role, so walk in that. They're moving toward a position of self-responsibility and becoming accountable to a higher authority, the authority of God himself. So in God's eyes and under his leadership, they transition into a separate and self-determining person. They have the right to leave home, make their own way in the world. It doesn't give them permission to treat you dismissively or criticise your values and opinions. And they're, um, they're not obligated to follow all your <laughs> instructions and all your advice. But in addition, there's no age limit to the biblical command to honour our parents. Honour implies choosing to give respect and care to another person, not begrudgingly, but out of love and a true desire to do what's right in the sight of God. Genuine honour is placing the highest value on our loved ones, regardless of whether we agree with them or not. It doesn't mean you have to do whatever they want. Um, it's about developing healthy, respectful boundaries and doing everything with honour and from a place of love. That's great. Yep. Here's a challenge from Proverbs because uh, Paul goes on to say, don't exasperate your children. Don't embitter them. Otherwise, they're going to lose heart. And we are expected to train our children up the way they should go, as Nicole um, just pointed out. Um, and that's difficult because they're little people and they don't want to be trained. 
they want to do their own thing. Uh, again, talking about Tom, he's the oldest, so we've got all the stories, and he's like the one we practiced on and sort of got it right <laughs> for the other two. But I remember Tom's first five words. Tom's first five words were me, me. It's all about me. I don't want to be trained. I want to, me, I want to do what I want to do. Me want, want was the second word. Me want, it's what I want, not what you want, what I want, me want. Third one was more, <laughs> me want more. I'm not making this up, I, I, watched this, I watched this happen. Me want more. The fourth word was no, no. All right? So they come with a sin nature and God's charge to us is to train them up in the way that they should go. His fifth word was share, which you think is really good. But what share actually means is share, share. You give me what you've got. Or if Nicole wanted my microphone and she went, she'd go, I'd go share, share. You know, he thought he was you know, doing the right thing, but actually the heart was there. And so for parents, I'm going to bring this you know, thing home now, but in the end I'm going to say we need God's help. We need to pray. We need the Holy Spirit's wisdom to show us how, how are we going with the parenting because there's two things to balance here and if we don't get them in the right balance, then our children will be exasperated and will be embittered, to use a biblical word, and can actually lose heart. So those two things are discipline and correction and encouragement and reward, if you like. And the trick is to get those two in balance and the trick is to work out which of those are most appropriate at any particular time. This is what Luther said. Apparently Luther's father was so stern with him that Luther, all his days, found it very hard to pray our father because the word father in his mind stood for nothing but severity. That's how powerful your parenting can be. It is a big responsibility and we cannot do it without God's help. So he said this, the duty of the parent is to discipline but also to encourage. Yes, spare the rod and you will spoil the child, that's true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to encourage him when he does well. So getting those two things um, in balance is the name of the game. Let me just run through a couple of things which we can actually get out of balance and then we'll pray. Yeah. You've got to be careful about setting unrealistic goals, right? Because some parents, I mean, you know, I'm a teacher and got a child who's getting 53, 54% for everything, but they're going to be a doctor, right? That's an unrealistic goal. And so what happens is then the child busts a gut, gets 53, 54, and the parent's response is, you can work harder. Why didn't you get 58? If you worked another hour every night, then you might be able to get... So it's an unrealistic expectation. And the child is never getting any reward or success. Do we have unrealistic expectations for our children? Are we criticising them way too much? Because if we criticise, criticise, what they learn is to be critical of themselves and of others. Are we overprotecting? because there comes a time when you actually have to release your children and if we don't, if we are overprotective and over-involved, then they never get to experience that independence and that will make them frustrated as well. Are we spending quantity time and quality time? Do we recognise them as people themselves, as their individuals? Don't show favouritism, 
show affection, make sure you maintain that standard and make sure you are providing for all that they need materially as well as emotionally. Thanks so much for joining us today on this podcast. We encourage you to let this word further help you live and share the life to the full that Jesus gives. If you want to check out more of our upcoming events, service times, locations, or to give online, head to c3hh.com.au forward slash give. Thank you.